The New York Football Podcast is brought to you by Game Time, your new go-to app for the best deals on last-minute tickets. Did you know Giants ticket prices tend to drop right before the game starts? Game Time tracks prices in real time from thousands of trusted sellers, then shows you all the best last-minute deals with prices up to 60% off. More than 12 million fans have downloaded the Game Time app and discovered the fastest, easiest way to get into the game. And hey, let's face it, those Giants tickets we will be getting even cheaper here in the final six games. So it's your chance to get out to uh, MetLife Stadium, see the Giants play, use the Game Time app to get there, use the easy two-tap checkout. So head to the App Store or Play Store now to download Game Time and score awesome deals on last-minute tickets. You're listening to the New York Football Podcast with Tim McMaster and Dan Duggan. Clearly, it's not a perfect game played by perfect people, and it's, it's going to be ups and downs, but you know, the more we can eliminate the downs, uh, the better we'll be. Leonard Williams and the Giants are sitting on an all-time down today. As bad as things have been throughout this awful season, the Giants have at least been able to say they were better than that other New York team. Well, not anymore. 34-27, the Jets beat the Giants. Welcome into the New York Football Podcast. Tim McMaster here along with Dan Duggan. And Dan, six straight losses. After Daniel Jones won his first two starts, they fall down again early. They do rally a little bit, but man, is is this the bottom of the barrel? Have they reached rock bottom right here? I mean, I've been on the beat four years, and I keep thinking they've hit rock bottom, and they just find a way to scrape, you know, another layer down. Because <laughs> you know, listen, this was always going to be a, a, an uphill battle this season, and once you go to the rookie quarterback, and you you know, you have a lot of young players playing on defense, and you know, all the issues we've touched upon. But to lose to the Jets, I mean, man, that that is something that is very, very difficult to stomach uh, in the Giants facility. You know, not that John Mara is okay with losing to the Cowboys or losing to even the Arizona Cardinals, whoever you want to say. But it stings a little bit more to lose to the Jets, and especially a Jets team that was, you know, an absolute dumpster fire coming into this game. You know, as much as, you know, we focus on Pat Shermer and and all the questions about if he's the man for the job, I mean, there was little planes flying over New York City, you know, looking to get rid of Adam Gase last week. So um, this was not exactly a juggernaut jet squad coming into that game. Uh, so to lose that, I mean, it's just like there's just so little to point to that you could say, like, you know, they want to keep talking about, oh, we're close or it's going in the right direction. I mean, there's just so little to point to really outside of Jones. And so, I mean, is it rock bottom? How do we say that now? You look, they come out of the bye. I think the it's uh, Chicago, Green Bay, Philly. I mean, you could be looking at, you know, two and eleven in the blink of an eye, and then maybe the you lose to the Dolphins. So I mean, it, I, I'm not going to ever say rock bottom because it, it could still go lower. That's the one thing I've learned over the last couple of years. Yeah, it is. It is certainly bad though. And when you look at this, we're going to get into the O line and how bad that was. We'll talk about Shermer a little bit in the defense, um, but let's start with the quarterbacks because. Maybe this is, we'll start positive and work our way from there. So it was the battle of Daniel Jones and, and Sam Darnold, obviously. And I guess at least statistically, he didn't get the win, but the numbers were a little better for Daniel Jones. Neither of them threw an interception, which um, was the amazing takeaway from this game. But but Daniel Jones, 26 of 40, goes over 300 yards, four touchdowns for the second time this season. And I mentioned the no interceptions. So a lot of positives there. There was one big negative, Dan, and that was the sack, or it wasn't even a sack because uh, 
Jamal Adams just took the ball away from him <laughs> and ran it 25 yards for a touchdown. Um, so there's positives and negatives as the quarterback continues to kind of try to grow. And the recklessness with the ball, though, stands out there because he sees Adams coming. Got to be able to protect it better than that. Yeah, I don't, I don't even know if reckless is the word. I don't know what the word is. It's like he needs to do some of you know those those grip things you do, or you know put his hands in buckets of rice or something. Because I mean, Adams just ripped the ball out of his hands two times. I mean, like you said, he sees him coming, and I, I just don't understand what it is. It's like he's too casual with it. Like like I don't, it's happened enough. You would think at some point he realizes I'm not stronger than these guys, or you know whatever it is. Like the play's done. I'm gonna get sacked. Just take the sack and the eight yard loss instead of the you know the touchdown or. I got lucky on the first one where the ball just kind of popped right into Saquon's hands. That easily could have been a disaster as well. Um, but, I mean, I'm not going to be someone who's going to sit here and just pick apart the one negative. Because, honestly, it is the one and only negative. Right. You would you would like to think it's something they'll, they'll be able to fix. At the same time, it doesn't really feel like something that you can coach out of a guy. Like, I, I don't know I don't know what you do to change it other than he physically just needs to be stronger with the ball. Like, I don't, I don't really know what the answer is there. I don't know if there's a drill that magically is gonna, gonna cure that. Maybe they bring Tom Coughlin back and you know whatever worked with Tiki Barber, you know, a decade ago. Maybe they can try that. But I mean, let's look at what he's done throwing the ball, which of course is you know the number one priority. This isn't in a three-week span. He's had two games where he's thrown four touchdowns with in each game with no interception in either game. I mean, th- that's remarkable. Mm-hmm. And, and again, I think. We really need to focus on that because let's also consider he's been without Sterling Shepard for, you know, the vast majority of his time as a starter. Evan Engram was out again yesterday. The offensive line was, you know, completely decimated. You know, you're, you're missing your starting center, your starting right tackle, and then Nate Solder goes down, uh, you know, midway through the second quarter, I think it was. So you're going two and a half quarters with three backups starting on the offensive line. And he's still hanging in there and making plays. And, and again, I, I've said this point so many times, and, and Brian Baldinger does a phenomenal job with just, you know, the film breakdowns and really makes it fun to, to get into the X and O's. He had a great breakdown of a, a third down sack late in the first half where the Giants tried to run some sort of, you know, mesh concept where three receivers are running crossing routes and it looked like Keystone cops. They all ran into each other. So Jones takes a sack. And then you have people say, oh, he holds the ball too long. You have to look at the play. Where is he supposed to go with the ball? Like, there's, there's just so rarely is a guy open. Like, I've been begging for it. And finally, Slayton on that fourth and four where, you know, the Jets' eighth-string cornerback, he t- you know, he tied him up in a pretzel and got wide open for an easy throw. And then, you know, Slayton has the 4-3 speed, and, and he takes it to the house. There's just so few plays like that. Every pass he makes is into a tight window. His ball placement is phenomenal. So you figure if he ever gets some real receivers, you know, how much better he can be. But, yeah, I think, listen, the fumbles are a problem. But, I mean, if you're looking at this team and your takeaway is, like, Daniel Jones' ball security is the thing you're going to harp on, I mean, it's going to be really hard to find any positives because, I mean, he is by far the one thing that would give me hope going forward because that's what we're looking for at this point. You know, they're obviously not going to, you know, make the playoffs or even have a winning record. That'll be six out of seven years now where they're not going to have a winning record. And, you know, best case this year, they get to 500. I think we can uh, safely assume this will be a losing record. So if you're looking for – any glimmer of hope for the future it has to start with daniel jones and where they go from there after that i'm not sure but i mean just look at the way this kid is throwing the ball and like i said in compromised situations without you know a great supporting cast without great protection and he just hangs in and makes great throws it shows you know incredible toughness he had the scramble where again he's you know it's the the risk reward with him and and he straddles the line certainly on the risk side but he you know, runs through a linebacker to pick up a first down on a third and 10. I mean, 
there's just so much to like about the kid that I have to trust that he'll figure out the fumbles, but I, I would much rather have everything else in his package and, and have that one thing to worry about than to, you know, ding him too bad for, you know, again, his one weakness to this point. Yeah, and this podcast, as we go through the season, if things continue to spiral this way, it's that's kind of what it's going to be, I think, is like, all right, this week, let's break down what Jones did again and see the positives and see the negatives and take that from it. Now, you mentioned the um, the 11-yard scramble for the first down on a third and 10, and, and this is something we've talked about is his taking too many hits. I'm not going to throw that one into that discussion just because that's when you want to actually take the hit, right? If he if he slides there, he's not going to get the first down. It's a key moment. It's a third and 10. He takes the hit. He gets the first down. I'm totally fine with that. It's different than um, just taking meaningless hits when you're rolling out of the pocket or, or scrambling when there's not a big situation. So I'll, I'll give him that one. As far as the receivers go, you mentioned Slayton, and, and that wasn't his only big catch. 10 for 121 on the day for Slayton and a couple of touchdowns. Um, it, was, it was nice to see that for sure. That was the fourth and four. Now, we do have to take into account the fact that Nate Hairston was covering him, and, and Nate Hairston shouldn't be on an NFL football field right now. But he also had a couple of big third downs. Uh, Tate had 95 yards. The receivers seemed to, to take a step forward. Um, Slate was able to get open. How about Tate's catches? Was Did you feel like he was able to get open a little bit more? Obviously, the big play to Tate was a screen, so that's a little different. Yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll finish up on our first point about Jones taking that hit. I mean, he's he's super competitive and he's mm-hmm. tough. And listen, I mean, he's shown that he can take these hits and, and keep on ticking. And it's the type of thing that really, you know, it's endeared himself to the coaching staff and his teammates. And I mean, yeah, listen, you know, we all remember John Elway doing like that helicopter. I mean, sometimes you got to try to make a play. It's third down. The kid's desperate to get a win. So, yeah, you wouldn't want him sliding two yards short of the marker there. Uh, as his career goes along, he'll he'll figure out when and when not to do it. I feel like right now he just always goes, you know, full bore. But that was a situation, yeah, I have, I have no problem with it. I mean, he's he's a big boy. He's got to be able to take some hits. And, and again, he, you know, he got up no worse from the wear uh, on that one. Uh, as far as the receivers, I mean, Slayton, I mean, uh, granted, you have to account for, you know, the Jets secondary. But still, I mean, he's a, you know, he's a rookie fifth-round pick. So, you know, nothing to give in with him. It's not as if this was some star who, you know, you, know, you should expect, you know, 10 for 121 and two touchdowns. I mean, that's, that's impressive by him. You know, especially coming off, he had a really ugly game uh, against Dallas. You know, just didn't have any impact on the game. Had a few kind of you know, knuckleheaded penalties before the snap, stuff like that. That um, you know, he, he owned up to it, and and you like to see the fact that he bounced back. And I mean, he he definitely looks like a find. I mean, I don't know that he uh, you know is ever going to be a number one receiver, but you know, if Sterling Shepard comes back, and you know, if they get somebody else maybe down the line here, definitely a, a solid you know two or three guy. It looks like. Um, and there's just a lot to work with there. Tate, it's funny because I mean he just he has a knack for big plays. I mean it's it's you know it's, it's most of his catches are super contested, tough ones over the middle, and you know obviously he's well known for you know making yards after the catch. And a lot of time that's just you know wiggling free for a few extra yards. I mean the first guy doesn't typically bring him down, um, but that screen was you know expertly blocked for as bad as a lot of the Giants blocking has been. I mean everybody did their job and took out a man from. You know, Cody Core, who pretty much never plays on offense. You know, he had one of the blocks, you know, tight end Ren Ellison, the right tackle Nick Gates, the right guard Kevin Zeitler. Like, that was just picture perfect. And then credit to Tate. I mean, he weaved his way through and, and really turned on the Jets. I mean, he, he outran everybody to the end zone. So, um, I mean, he, he's he been a good player. So, like, I was someone who was against the signing, and, and I still don't think it was the best use of resources. But, like, no one ever said, like, Golden Tate's a bad player. You know I mean? He is a good, productive player. And, and the big plays are something I really didn't expect. So, I mean, 
He's even been a pleasant surprise in some respects. You, you can't you can't just dismiss the four game suspension that that hurt. And then you know it's more about going forward. Is is he going to be a big part of this going forward, or is he just kind of a stopgap? And but listen, Daniel Jones needs some professional receivers to throw to. So um, you know, I think Golden Tate after the suspension uh, has been a welcome addition. You know, has has done a good job. Um, so yeah, I mean with with Slayton and Tate, and if they you know could get Shepard back, which listen, we don't know if that's even going to happen. It, it, that's at least a competent group of receivers. It's not you know there's not really any game breakers or game changers there. But, you know, that would be a good group. And then you hope you find, you know, another Slayton late in the draft next year or you, you you hit on a free agent, whatever it may be. I mean, there's there's definitely some pieces in place here that you feel like going forward, you know, Jones could have some you know weapons to grow with a little bit. You've been a lot of people have been critical of Cody Latimer through the season. Um, and interesting that as we get here to, to, you know, this game, Benny Fowler now starting to really take over as far as reps go. Are you surprised at all or did you expect that to happen eventually? Uh, I mean, it just kind of tells the state of this receiver core because, again, if Shepard's healthy, you know, you, ideally neither one of those guys sees the field. I, I'm actually a little bit surprised because um, I actually think Latimer has more upside than Fowler. I mean, I think that they're neither is a very, you know, good player. They kind of are what they are. They're in the fifth, sixth season, whatever it is, and never been very productive. But I feel like Latimer at least brings a little bit of a, a deep element. But I think he's, they must just not feel like he's as reliable on some of the, the short stuff that Fowler, you know, is pretty shorthanded. But yeah, I mean, listen, it's it's not a great great uh, debate to be having. Should it be Benny Fowler or Cody Latimer as your third receiver? I think if you're having that discussion, um, you have a kind of a, a weak wide receiver core. So, uh, you know, that goes to the point where you know they need to get Shepard back, and they still need to you know continue to upgrade that position because it's not as if you know, you know they're loaded there by any stretch. So, you know, I think ideally going forward, you know, the Benny Fowlers and the Cody Latimers, you know, aren't seeing time. Period. And really, I, I don't know if I've been critical of Latimer. I was more critical of the expectations that people like somehow looked at him and said, like, he's going to break out because he had like had a couple of good catches last year. And right. I think it's at some point, you know, I know fans are, are always going to think their guys are you know, a little better than they are. You have to look at it and say, like, most guys are what they are by their fourth and fifth year. And at like some point, you know, we'll learn that, you know, it's like they signed Buchanan, the linebacker, and like he had just gotten cut by a team and couldn't even get on the field there. But, like, he's going to somehow turn it on here, and he's been a complete non-factor. Or, you know, Cody Latimer was a second-round bust, and, and Denver, you know, wanted nothing to do with him after his rookie contract. But it's the light's going to somehow come on in year six. Like, that's more my thing. I just try to be a realist about that. And, listen, I know that that's not, you know, part of being a fan. The fun is that you think, oh, every guy is going to be great, and, and once in a while it, it pans out. But for the most part, you know, these veterans who have been around for a bit, they kick around for a reason. And again, you're seeing it with guys like Fowler, like Latimer, like Buchanan. You know, there's plenty of guys on this roster um, that were available for cheap, you know, for a reason. Dan, the offensive line was bad. You mentioned it from the passing standpoint, six sacks and, and Jones didn't have a lot of time. Um, but but let's look at it from the other part of the game, and that is the rushing. As Saquon Barkley, 13 carries for one yard. He had five catches for 30 yards. Um, but I just want to know where how you divide the blame. How much of this is on Barkley, who still just doesn't look 100%, versus the line, which is abysmal? Yeah, well, I mean, first of all, I, one other point I made, you know, quite a bit before the trade deadline is like this assumption that whoever's on the bench by Nate Solder can't be any worse. <laughs> well, I mean, we saw that with Eric Smith yesterday. Like, I feel bad for him. He was in a tough spot. I mean, it was his first career appearance. He's been in the league for three years, you know, never had gotten in a game. And then he got thrown in mid-game. And he apparently told some reporters, I didn't get a chance to talk to him after the game. 
that he didn't take any reps at left tackle during the practice week, which to me is stunning. Like, I mean, they knew he was going to be active because, you know, Remmers was uh, was banged up with the back. So I don't know how you don't get your swing tackle, a little bit of work at least uh, at both tackle spots. I mean, I know there's a limited amount of practice time, but to me that's kind of inexcusable. And he certainly looked like a guy who didn't have many reps there. Um, you know, and everyone been banging the table, like get Spencer Pulley in there over John Jalapio. Like did the, the, the middle of the offensive line look any better to you yesterday? Uh, I actually think the one sort of, you know, bright spot, if you want to call it that for an offensive line to let up six sacks and, you know, average you know, like two inches of carry Nick Gates was, wasn't bad at right tackle. And I really think at this point, there's absolutely no point in, in putting Mike Remmers back in there. I mean, he's a, a, a short time fill in type guy, stop gap. He's not going to be back next year, so you might as well let Gates, who's a young guy, kind of an unknown. Let's see what you have in him over these last six, seven games. Maybe he's an answer going forward, and you kind of have your right tackle. I mean, I'm not saying that that's what's going to happen, but certainly worth giving it a shot because Mike Grammer hasn't been very good, so give me the young unknown over the old known and not very good guy for the, these last six, seven games. Um, as far as who to blame it on, I mean, listen, Saquon has definitely been tentative and doesn't have that same burst since he came back from the injury. But, I mean, yesterday he had no chance. I mean, it was – I think I saw a stat from Field Yates at ESPN that on 11 of his 13 carries, he got hit behind the line. <laughs> so, I mean, as much as we compare Saquon to Barry Sanders, maybe only Barry Sanders could have made something out of a, a day like that from your front you – know, offensive line. So, yeah, I mean, it, it's it's mostly on the offensive line, especially yesterday. I mean, we, we've kind of come to expect Saquon to, like, leap buildings in a single bound. But when he certainly compromised to some degree – we don't know how much. I mean, he's certainly not letting on. Uh, it's, it's you know, you get what you see. Yes, I mean, 13 carries for one yard is like an all-time stat line. But it's not. it wasn't just last week because I mean, it wasn't just yesterday because, you know, last week he didn't do anything against the Cowboys. So um, it, it's just they're really in a rut there with the offensive line, with the run game. And, and, again, I think maybe in the Dallas game you might want to put a little bit more on Saquon. But I would say the Jets game is like 95% of the offensive line because pretty much every time he got the ball, there was just nowhere to go. All right, we're not done with this awful performance. We got more to break down. But before we move on, a little shout-out to DraftKings. Weekends are made for football, and, and this time of year, it's it's everything. It's college football, pro football. The NBA is back. College basketball is getting going here. There's plenty of sports going on, and the DraftKings Sportsbook app can get you in on the action 24-7, 365 days a year. DraftKings Sportsbook is America's top-rated sportsbook app, and with so much going on, they have great promotions running all month long this week. DraftKings is running a first touchdown scorer promotion. Just bet on the first touchdown scorer in the Pittsburgh-Cleveland game and get protected with your wager back if they score at any point in the game. Dan, it's a big one in the uh, AFC North on Thursday night. Who do you think is going to score first in that Steelers-Browns game? Mm, I mean, that's kind of neat. that's just like a layup for me. i got to take Odell. <laughs> I mean, listen, if I'm going to watch that game, that that's who obviously Giants fans will be uh, you know, zeroed in on and Certainly hasn't gotten the end zone very much this year, so maybe he's due. So that's uh, that would be my pick. I, again, I do think he's probably due, and, and one of these days he'll probably break out for a three-touchdown game, so maybe it comes Thursday night. Yeah, I would want to go with James Conner for Pittsburgh, but he's still questionable. I'm not sure if he'll be in there, so certainly interesting. Uh, but Odell Beckham could certainly be the guy in the prime time. He tends to uh, bring it. So don't forget, the DraftKings Sportsbook app has in-game betting too, so you can bet on the games while they're happening. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app right now and use code QUICK for a limited time, all new and existing users can get a deposit bonus up to $500. That's code QUICK. 
Q-U-I-C-K for all new and existing users to get a deposit bonus of up to $500. Only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Must be 21 or older. New Jersey only. Deposit bonus requires 25 times playthrough. Restrictions apply. See site for details. If you have a gambling problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER. All right, moving on to some more struggles from this game, Dan, and we got to look at the defense, um, and it's really all levels of that defense. I'm going to start in the secondary, and then we'll kind of work our way up. But um, Baker, man, you know, early in the season, everybody picked on Baker for good reason. He was getting burned left and right. We were saying his name all the time, and then it kind of went quiet, and you thought, okay, this guy's developing. He's starting to maybe realize that potential of a high draft pick, but he had a rough one on Sunday. Yeah, I mean, it's it's you know, the beginning of the year it was totally dismissed as, you know, rookie thrown into the, you know, deep end right away, sink or swim, he obviously sank. It's settled down. I, I where I'm at now with him is I think if you put him in man-to-man coverage every play, he'd be okay. Like he he has the physical ability. The problem is he just seems so lost on how to fit into the entire, you know, schemes of the defense. Um, you know, I think he's just he doesn't understand him he admitted as much which was troubling um but you know and then he has no ball skills at all like i mean the, the past appearance he had the other night uh, in the end zone that was great coverage i mean he was right where he needs to be all he needs to do is just turn his head he doesn't have to try and make an interception not do anything crazy but he just seems to have no awareness of where the ball is like think about i mean has he made any plays on the ball i can't think of a near interception i can't think of a pass even really knocked down the, the pass the play that comes to mind is in Detroit, the goal line, when he like kind of went up to sort of try to catch the you know the ball and Kenny Galladay snatched it away for a touchdown. But, I mean, I'm souring on him kind of quickly here. Only because he's played so much this season, you expect him to get better. It's troubling to me that it seems like he's gotten worse or, you know, best case, he's kind of spinning his tires. But, like, he doesn't strike me as a guy who, like, fully gets it. Like, it's really troubling – when coaches in week 10 are talking about like how he's learning to be a pro and he's he's starting to understand the urgency you need at this level like you know what the hell has he been doing the last six months you know you got drafted in april you were basically installed as a starter as soon as you joined the you know the the full team workouts in the spring like how is it just setting in that like it's you gotta you gotta study you gotta do extra work i mean i i don't know it's just He's just not someone who inspires me to think that there is going to be a huge jump. I, again, I think he has talent. So, you know, maybe he, that can overwhelm sort of some of the other deficiencies and, and just sort of his all-around game. But I, I don't have the same good feeling I have because we see a lot of the same problems. And then just the, the you know, the football IQ and the work ethic, those types of things. Ah, it's a little troubling that those are still concerns. I mean, you kind of go back before the draft and, you start thinking back some of the whispers you heard. I mean, his combine wasn't super impressive. Um, it just feels like maybe there's a reason why, um, you know, he was he was kind of a higher uh, rated prospect and then slipped to the end of the first round. And then the Giants traded up for him. There's a lot of other similarly ranked cornerbacks. So could they have just stayed put and got someone at, you know, I think it was 37 and not have to give up any assets to get him? I don't know. I mean, I'm not ready to, you know, give up on the kid, but definitely not inspiring a lot of confidence uh, as the season wears on. 
yeah, maybe a, a full off season in the NFL will help him, but but seem, things don't seem good right now. All right, speaking of uh, the secondary, Janoris Jenkins left the game in the third quarter. We found out today that he took a concussion and was hurt. So Sam Beal finally gets into a game. We finally get to see Sam Beal uh, as far as a defensive snap, Dan. I mean, it was pretty quiet. I think he had a tackle, um, but... A few minutes from him, will his time grow, or if Jenkins is is healthy after the bye, is Beal going to go right back to uh, to no plays? Yeah, I mean that's a great question because I mean he, before Jenkins' injury, you know he was strictly playing special teams. I think it was good just for Giants fans to know this guy does exist. You know he's not just a figment of their imagination that you you hear about in the spring or whatever. But no, he was out there, and you know I didn't notice that Jenkins got banged up right away, and all of a sudden I looked up I'm like, whoa, twenty three's out there. And I kind of figured it, it, you know, Jenkins must have got hurt, and then you know we found out he had the concussion. But um, I was surprised to see him out there because I really thought their plan was to build him up slowly, and I, I think that was their plan. But of course, um, the injury changed things. But I think it still was telling. They easily could have probably shifted Corey Ballantyne to Jenkins' spot and brought Grant Haley back in the slot. But they showed enough confidence to to put Beal right out there. So I think that was a good sign. And you know, I think he played like ten snaps or whatever it was. But quiet, quiet is good anytime you're playing offensive line. A cornerback, quiet is good, yeah. and I, I don't remember him standing out for any bad reason. I haven't rewatched the game yet, but um, certainly nothing jumped off the page in a negative way. As far as his role going forward, though, I mean, you know, Jenkins, when you know when he's healthy and they have the bye weeks, you would think he'll probably be ready to go after the bye. I don't think you're going to displace Jenkins um, to play Beal. Now, could he push Baker for playing time? I think that should be on the table. Maybe they even split some reps there. Like they started at the beginning of the season with Baker and, and Antonio Hamilton. And, and thinking back on that, that might have even been a red flag that the Giants were willing to play Antonio Hamilton some snaps at cornerback because they clearly did not think Baker was ready. And then now they have to they have to commit to Baker because Hamilton was so bad. They said, well, I mean, it really makes no sense to keep playing this guy. We have a first-round pick, so let's if we're going to go down, let's go down with our first-round pick. But that even to me now, in hindsight, should have probably been more of a red flag than it was at the time that they were willing to play Hamilton. But – so maybe they do that with Beal. Maybe they make some sort of platoon there, or if Baker keeps struggling, maybe they just, you know, let let Beal get a start. I don't know. That'll be very interesting. But I, I was uh, a little bit surprised that, that they put him right in there. Of course, you know, it was a little bit out of their hands because of the Jenkins injury. So I guess we'll just have to see, you know, where things go with him uh, going forward. All right, and then one more thing on the defense. I I, I can't believe we waited till now, but I, I just put it here in the rundown. And that is Leonard Williams. Uh, we heard him off the top. Um, but he ended up with three tackles, one of those solo, no sacks, no tackles for losses, no forced fumbles. And Dan, I feel like Jets fans today are celebrating the trade saying, see, he didn't even do anything against us. Uh, and we got two picks from the giants, but just sum up Leonard Williams right now, because you would even joke that he was going to have a huge game against the jets just because that was going to give the Giants something to kind of look back on fondly when they give him a big contract. So so now what do the Giants do? Because they still have to re-sign him. Yeah, well, look, it was a typical Leonard Williams game. From right. Again, like this is a guy we you know, heard from Connor Hughes, and you've just heard from Jets fans and Jets media, and, you know, just people, you know, watch Leonard Williams. He He's not a bad player. I mean, he's a good player. Like, he's very solid right. against the run. I mean, Le'Veon Bell did nothing yesterday. They were very strong up front. And there was, again, a bunch of times where he got to Sam Darnold and, and hit Sam Darnold. And I don't know if it was him. I know Marcus Golden one time, like, literally hit Darnold wrapped up, but he still got the throw off. I don't know if Williams might have had the same situation. I'm trying to picture it. But anyways, he was in the backfield quite a bit, disruptive, but just doesn't finish, doesn't make the big plays. And again, that's not a bad thing. You you need guys like that, on, a, especially an interior defense alignment. He's doing his job. The question, as always, with him and the trade is the value is that going to be worth 
13, 15 million dollars a year. And that's where I feel like the Giants have sort of backed themselves into that corner. Because look, I look at him a lot like Olivier Vernon in a way, and I know they're not the same exact player. But Olivier Vernon was a guy that like pro football focus loved. Like he had pressures, he had hurries, he had all, but he didn't have sacks. He didn't have fumbles. Like he didn't make game changing plays, but he graded out well because he had a lot of pressures. And over time you realize like there's a reason why like, you know, Aaron Donald and JJ Watt, like, these guys are at a different level to Khalil Max because they don't just get pressures. They do get home. They do make game changing plays. So that's why they're worth, you know, $20 million a year. So do you want to give, another monster cat, uh, contract to a guy with a lot of hidden value. Like, again, it's not a bad thing to have players like that in your team. It's just you want to devote huge resources to them. And it just feels like the Giants are back into the corner where they're going to have to do that for Lennon Williams. And I think that it'll probably end up being like Vernon where like it'll be like, oh, he's a good player, but there'll probably be some buyer's remorse down the road because I don't think he's ever going to make that step to be a great player. And it would be one thing if we're saying, oh, it's only two games with the Giants, but he knows the system. I mean, he played in the, basically the same thing with Todd Bowles, so it's really not a, a big learning curve. And we just have four and a half years of evidence that the guy we've seen in these last two games, good, disruptive, but not game-changing, is just who he is. So was it worth a third-round pick and another pick and, and the price tag is going to cost to re-sign him? I don't think so, <laughs> but I, I just feel like that's how it's going to play out. So then we'll see if, if somehow – he, he takes that next step in year six, which we already talked about. That doesn't often happen for guys. Um, otherwise, I think they'll be playing a good player at elite money. And again, Vernon, Nate Solder, whoever you want to call it, we've seen that isn't a great investment. Yeah, good player at elite money and lost draft capital along the way. It's not not a great look, but we'll see. Uh, we'll give him some more time. Two weeks are not enough that we'll, we'll completely judge Leonard Williams and, and what he'll be as a giant. All right, so it's the bye week now, so it's time to uh, – I guess well-timed as far as a bye week goes. I'm not sure. Um, they're certainly not going into it with momentum, but it's a chance to kind of figure some things out. So, I mean, there's obviously going to be heat uh, on Shermer, and I've already seen the heat on James Betcher on on Twitter and among the fan base. And, Dan, you are even now considered, I think, uh, a Betcher apologist on Twitter <laughs> just for, for no reason at all, just because you said it's not necessarily all his fault because they don't have talent. Um, I thought that was funny on Twitter today. But he's obviously not going to get fired during the bye week. But how how high the chances that, that the defensive coordinator doesn't make it through the offseason? Yeah, I mean, we're, talk, we're just talking about with Leonard Williams being backed into a corner. Somehow I made like what I thought was a pretty generic defense <laughs> of James Betcher. I became like saying he deserves an extension. He's doing a great job. <laughs> so let me get to my point on Betcher. A, you know, Pat Trimmer has now said twice in the last 24 hours that there's not going to be any coaching changes, any staff changes. And, you know, maybe John Barrett could demand them tomorrow. But I think usually, you know, staff changes are, are really up to the head coach. And I, I can't see Shermer change his mind at this point. Listen, what would it accomplish to fire James Betcher today other than just to give the fans their pound of flesh? Because there's six games left. They're 2-8. and eight, They're not going on a run. There's nobody on this defensive staff who has experience as a high-level coordinator. So you're going to, like, you know, Everett Withers is going to take over this defense and, and show you something in the next six games. Like, I, I, I don't buy that. I feel like usually when you see in-season firings of, of coaches, it's a team that underachieved. And, you know, the, there's we need to shake things up or, or someone kind of has to pay the price. I mean, who thought this defense was going to be good coming into the year? I think you always have to go back to that. It's like, you know, we go into the season and everyone kind of has their expectations. But then the games start and it's like, oh, man, this is bad football. Oh, man, I hate what I'm seeing here. But it's like, go again, you have to go back and like as a reference point, what was your expectation on September 1st? You thought this defense was going to be good? Like, why? There's, there's just not a lot of talent on it. 
So my view on it is, you know, from September to December, the you know the coordinators, the coaches sort of pay for the sins of the general manager from January to August because this was a not a well-constructed defense. There's just not a lot there for a coordinator to work with. And, you know, people are telling me, you know, James Betcher, like, you know, doesn't know football. When he was in Arizona with great players, he had a top 10 defense all three years he was a coordinator. Now he's been here with bad players, and he's had bad defense the last two years. So obviously, you know, there's a correlation. Good players, all of a sudden he looks like a good coach. Bad players, all of a sudden he looks like a bad coach. Now listen, there are definitely coaches that can take bad talent and and coach him up and and at least get him to, you know, <laughs> excuse me, respectability. He hasn't done that. So listen, he's probably going to pay with, pay for it with his job. So I don't, I'm not sitting here laying down on the track saying, don't fire James Betcher. I'm sure it's probably going to happen after the season. So be it. Like, again, it's a results-oriented business. The defense hasn't been very good under his watch. So he's probably going to pay the price. I will just say his predecessor better hope that with another offseason, with more premium draft picks, with more money to spend, they get some players in here. Because if, if you gave you know any other coordinator this defense this year, I can't imagine the results would be that much different. I mean, again, I just feel like there's so many coordinators. Look at Steve Spagnuolo. His career is unbelievable. He has had some of the best defenses and some of the worst defenses. And it's always you can always trace it to the level of talent he has. Now, again, there are some coaches that are, you know, on one end of the extreme that they're just great no matter who you give them. And there's probably some on the other end. They're just, you know, bad coaches and they don't end up being coordinators. But I would think that bell curve is, is pretty fat in the middle where most coordinators, if you have good players, they're pretty good. Bad players, they're pretty bad. And it, it's really hard to break out on either end of that. So uh, that's all I'm saying about James Betcher. Again, if he gets fired on December 30th or whatever the last game is, I'm not going to, you know, say this was a terrible decision. How could they fire such a brilliant defensive mind? I'm only saying you have to consider what the expectations were. Are you surprised that this defense isn't good? I mean, just look around. Where are the playmakers? Where are the difference makers on this defense? There aren't very many of them. When he had them in Arizona, he was a, a good coach. He doesn't have a New York. He's a bad coach. That's the way this business goes. He's a big boy. You know, he'll deal with it. He'll land another job. But I, I, I as far as getting rid of him at this point, again, I just think it serves no purpose because – no, no, you know, no assistant is going to take over as interim DC and like change the schemes. Gosh, they can't even know the schemes that they've been working on for six months or even longer for guys who were here last year. There's no way you can change things drastically. So some new coordinator, just a different guy in the headset, is going to drastically change the results? No, of course not. So I think they'll just ride it up with him, and obviously everything's on the table after the season. All right, one last thought, and that is Shermer. Uh, the urgency level was supposed to be up this week. Uh, you mentioned them not playing the the music and stretching for whatever that is. But he, there was clearly a message that, hey, the, it's time to be urgent, and then they fell behind right away. So the urgency wasn't there once the game started. Um, you've always said these players play hard for him, and they certainly came back in the game. Um, but but what is the situation around Shermer right now as uh, this team continues to just not win football games week after week? Yeah, and listen, I mean, if, if the biggest thing you can say in your favor is that the players still play hard, that's not a heck of a lot when you really boil it down. I mean, A, they're getting paid millions of dollars in most cases. B, selfishly, they need to play hard because it's a lot of these guys are in the last year of their contract, a one-year contract, a young guy trying to get a contract. If you put out bad tape, you're, you're just going to hurt yourself. And third, I mean, they've put a ton of capital into bringing character guys and good guys. So at the very least, you should at least get guys who are going to play hard and not check out. I mean, that year, like 2017, the Giants had, those are pretty rare in the NFL. Most teams are bad kind of quietly and non-controversially. And, and the Giants have you know perfected that under Pat Shermer. I, I don't know what else they've really done. Um, as far as, you know, the hot seat, 
I, I, it's going to be really interesting to see you know, how this plays out because Dave Gettleman it has no plans to speak to the media this week. Most GMs speak during the bye. He didn't do it last year either, um, but Jerry Reese always did it. John Mara, I feel like, has been hit or miss. I don't think he's done it the last couple of years. I mean, he usually waits till the end of the season. But, you know, so after the season, we're going to finally get a chance to talk to Dave Gettleman, talk to John Mara, because it's really just been Shermer's voice. And I think, you know, most fans have, have drowned him out at this point because it's, it's sort of just the same cliches every week. I mean, it was it was a tough scene after the game when he was basically asked, you know, like, you know, why should fans, why should people have confidence in, in you know, this team or in you? And he basically said, like, well, I, you know, I, I can't identify those. Or, you know, he said something like, it's not, it's not for here. Like, he just like basically said, trust me. It's like, well, like, what is there to trust? Like, what trust does he earn? Now, again, it's it's similar to the Betcher thing where he hasn't been dealt the greatest hand. The one thing I'll say with Shermer is, it's funny, I saw people drawing comparisons to Tom Coughlin's early tenure, which I don't, I don't see that at all. I mean, Tom Coughlin was a winner at Boston College. He was a winner at Jacksonville. And, you know, obviously people always want to fire coaches. But, I mean, there was at least some grounds to stick with them through those first couple of years in the Giants, which were nowhere near as bad as what it's been with Shermer anyway. So, I, I mean, Shermer has never been a winning head coach. So, like, there's nothing to draw back on that. Like, listen, if you give this guy the talent, he's going to win. Again, he's had bad situations throughout his career, but he still has not produced anything to, to generate confidence. So, I'll be fascinated to see, you know, where this thing goes. I mean, this is Gettleman's guy. Gettleman came in and his first order of business was hiring Pat Shermer. Now, obviously, John Maher and Steve Tisch, signed off on it. I would sure John Marrow, you know, had a strong feeling. So it wasn't as if Gettleman was on an island here. But that's his this is his guy. So if you're gonna fire Pat Shermer after two years, what does that say about Dave Gettleman? There there's I feel like they're sort of joined at the hip when you come in like that. So I mean do they just run it back for a third year? Because I really don't think Dave Gettleman gets fired. I, I mean, listen, he sold this ownership on his you know grand plan and this, this huge rebuild. So you're going to you know, pull the plug on that after only two years of it? I mean, if you bought into it, you kind of have to buy into it all the way and, and give them time. And again, they're going to have a lot of money and, and more draft picks this year in the you know, top five probably at this point. So uh, I think that they're kind of all in with Dave Gettleman for at least another year. And does Pat Shermer get to you know come along on that ride because he's Gettleman's guy? I think that's going to be fascinating uh, to see. But it's, it's also like it's hard to do this week to week because, you know, I didn't think, you know, they were two and four. Remember, we looked at this four game stretch and said, you know, they get a chance to make some hay here, and then they come out of it on the other end, two and eight. Like it's brutal, and it might only get worse. Like we said, the schedules doesn't let up after the bye. You really can't chalk any game up as a win after seeing them lose to the Jets. So, I mean, if this thing is two and fourteen, three and thirteen, I think all bets are off. So it's hard to handicap exactly where Shermer is right now, but it is definitely going to be a very interesting, you know, twenty-four to forty-eight hours after the season ends because you know we all, all know everything kind of happens on Black Monday and. Uh, I think Shermer is is seat is heating up rapidly, but I don't know, you know, if if it gets to the point where they actually pull the plug uh, at, at the end of the year. It almost felt like some of the heat transferred from Adam Gase's seat over to Pat Shermer's <laughs> with the uh, the outcome of that game. We are going to find out if if Sunday was indeed rock bottom for this Giants team, or if there is a further depth to get to in this 2019 season. It's certainly been a rough one. If you want to listen to more about the game from the other side, uh, check out the Can't Wait podcast on the Athletic Network. Uh, that one's with. Uh, Connor Hughes talking about the same game from the Jets standpoint and how bad they were heading into it, but able to come out with a win. And if you've enjoyed the podcast, hey, subscribe and give us a five-star rating. It helps us get the word out to other fans in the Apple universe and on Spotify and everywhere. So definitely subscribe. And if you want to get all of our podcasts, 
Um, you have to subscribe to The Athletic. This one was free, the first one of every week, but later in the week, we'll be previewing the next game most of the time, and that one is just for Athletic subscribers. Go to theathletic.com slash the New York Football Podcast and receive 40% off your subscription to The Athletic. Um, Dan's at Twitter, dduggan21. Check it out. Pile on about him being a uh, better apologist or whatever else you want to do there. Uh, we will be back <laughs> later in the week. It's the bye week, uh, so we'll figure out how to uh, – maybe we'll do some Duggan deep questions, another full episode or something like that to uh, set the stage for the last six games of this season. This has been the New York Football Podcast. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks.